And let's read Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Amen. This is the word of God. You know, lately in the news, there have been a number of stories about people who a number of years ago have moved from overseas to live in Australia and have settled in Victoria. And for many, it was like a dream come true. But this year in particular, uh, what seemed like a dream come true at the beginning now, in at the, sort of at this point of uh, time, uh, many are actually having doubts about whether it really was such a good move after all. With ongoing lockdowns, job opportunities limited, they're starting to think that what they had back at home was actually much better. And I wonder if you've ever had that kind of experience. Uh, you've moved on to something new only to realize that what you already had was actually a whole lot better. Uh, perhaps you moved house or changed cars or maybe you've moved schools or even changed jobs only to realize that what you already had was all you ever needed. Well, in a similar kind of way, that's what the Colossians uh, were facing. They were facing that, the danger of making that same mistake, but not with those sort of things, not with houses or cars or, or anything like that. No, no, they were being enticed by false teachers to embrace new teachings, alternative teachings um, from the gospel, alternative teachings that promised a closer experience of God and a more fruitful life. But these were false promises. And so in this letter to the Colossians, Paul counteracts this false teaching. But before he addresses the details of it, he first reminds the Colossians of how good they already have it in Christ, uh, how complete they already are in Christ. And last week, remember, we looked at there's no one greater than Jesus. He, he is preeminent over all things. Uh, there's no one greater that you can know. Uh, and this week, we now look at how great his work is, the sufficiency of his salvation for us. And so last week, it was Christ preeminent. This week, it's Christ sufficient. And uh, to get that across, uh, we have before us three verses, uh, making three points. Uh, we see the predicament that we were in, in verse 21, the solution that Christ has brought in, in verse 22, and then the condition that we need to meet in verse 23. So the predicament, the solution, the condition. Let's look at those three. So verse 21, lays out the predicament we are in without Jesus. So verse 21 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So here our predicament is summed up as being alienated. That is alienated from God. It's a relational alienation. Uh, this is saying you were estranged from him. And I'm pretty sure most of you know what it feels like to be estranged from someone. 
Uh, sometimes friends can have a fallout in, at school and, and then as a result avoid each other in the playground. Or sometimes a parent can be estranged from their adult children and haven't talked to them for many years. And uh, then an unavoidable family function comes up where they have to be in the same room and you can feel the tension uh, between these people. It's, it's very uncomfortable to be around them, but that's what it means to be estranged from someone or alienated. But what verse 21 is saying is that every single person, every single one's relationship with God is just like that, estranged or alienated. We're at loggerheads with God. We were his enemies. That's our natural state unless we're rescued from it. Well, what does this alienation look like in practice? It says that uh, we were hostile in mind. And that refers to a mindset of hostility toward God. So that is the whole bent of our being was opposed to God. Our intellect, our thinking, our values, our attitude, our perceptions, our assumptions, our outlook on life, everything about the way we think and about the way we perceive reality was antagonistic toward the God who made us. And the hostile mind is one that is suspicious of God's character and suspicious of his ways. Uh, the hostile mind sees God's laws as burdensome, as restrictive and narrow. Uh, the hostile mind likes to think of God in ways that contradict his own revelation of himself. You know, we try to, to redefine God or explain him away. But all of this, it's a way of seeking to avoid God. It's a way of trying to block him out of our lives. See, we were alienated from him and hostile in mind. And that hostile mindset, it shows itself in, uh, notice, in doing evil deeds. So all the problems of human behavior. See, here's a bit of a list. The selfishness, the arrogance, the anger, the divisions, the wars, the fighting, the exploitation, the abuse, the manipulation, the criticisms, the deceit, the gossip, the lies, the stealing, the fraud, the impatience, the lust, lack of compassion, people-pleasing, laziness, corruption, greed, idolatry, grumbling, scandaling. Do you know I could go on and on? But it's obvious there is something desperately wrong with humanity. But what people don't realize, or should I say what people don't want to acknowledge, is that the root cause of all this, these evil deeds is our alienation from God. It's this mindset of, of, of wanting to block him out. It's because we're estranged from God and have a mindset of wanting to be our own masters that that shows itself in the evil deeds that we do. And in every culture, in every generation, in every country, it's always the same. It doesn't matter how advanced a country is uh, technologically, it doesn't matter how great the healthcare system is or what type of government is in power, doesn't matter how educated or skilled a society is, every society is corrupted by evil deeds. Every society needs some form of law enforcement, some form of law courts, uh, prisons, and locks on doors. And it all goes back to this deeper predicament, our alienation from the God who made us. 
If you remember last week, we looked in Colossians how we were all made by God and for God. Our purpose in life is to center our lives on Him, uh, to live for His glory, to obey His laws, to love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength. And as our Creator, we actually owe this to God. We owe Him glory and obedience. But see, we live the complete opposite to that. We live our lives lives as if we are the center. Uh, We live our lives as if we belong to ourselves, as if we're our, our own creator and master. We seek our own glory so that even the good things that we do are done for the wrong motives. And so we've actually all robbed God of the glory and obedience that we owe him. The glory and obedience that's rightfully his. And so you can't fix that just by saying sorry to God. You can't fix that by just hoping that all of this will go away. No, no, we have an infinite debt of sin before God that's against him. And until that debt is paid and taken away, that debt will continue to alienate us from God. And unless the debt is taken away, we will actually be alienated from God forever. Now, maybe some of you are listening to this predicament and you're feeling a bit offended by it, by what this says about your life. Maybe you've never thought of yourself like this in relation to God. Um, Maybe you insist, you know, I might be indifferent to God, but I'm not hostile toward him. I don't feel like there's any uh, conflict or um, animosity between me and God. I mean, in fact, I think I'm a relatively good person. But here's the thing about this verse. If this verse is true, then one of these symptoms of a mind that is hostile to God would be to refuse to accept his assessment of us. But this verse is not asking you to determine how you look before a holy God. This verse is actually telling you how God sees you in your rebellion and sin. And until you see yourself the way God sees you, you'll never realize just how desperate you actually are for the Saviour. But see, the main application of verse 21 is actually to believers. This verse is to remind you just how serious your predicament was so that you'll come to appreciate just how wonderful the rescue is that God has provided. Uh, Notice this verse, it begins by saying, and you who once were, past tense, you were once lost, you were once alienated from God, you were once hostile to him. You once lived for evil deeds. And see, from time to time, it's actually healthy to reflect on what you once were. It's healthy to think deeply about that, to think about the predicament we were in, to see how lost you were in sin, how helpless you were, because that will then make you so much more captivated by the wonderful solution that God has provided. So let's now look at the solution. The solution God has provided It says, and you who once were alienated, now verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So this is the good news. This is the gospel message. God has provided a solution to our predicament. We can't fix it. Only God can, and he did. He's resolved it, and he did by sending his own son 
to reconcile you. Reconcile. What does reconcile mean? Reconcile means enemies becoming friends. Reconcile means all that hostility that once characterized your relationship is now gone. There's no hostility. There's only friendship. See, reconciled means all of that tension, all of that shame and hiding. It's no longer there. Do you know when you've done something against someone and um, what happens? You, you start to avoid them because there's an unspoken tension. That's what it used to be like with God. But through the work of Jesus, the sin that alienated you from God, the sin that caused that tension, that's taken away. And so now there is no longer any reason to hide. There's no longer any reason to feel anxious about where you stand with God. Because Jesus has reconciled you. Now have a look at what it costs Jesus to reconcile you. It says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Uh, verse 20 said, uh, we looked at it last week, but he did it by making peace by the blood of his cross. So this is saying that on the cross, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, He was condemned in your place for your sin so that you can be acquitted. Jesus, He was punished in your place for your sin so that you can be forgiven and restored to a right relationship with God. That's what it took for you to be reconciled to God. That's what it took for this debt to be taken away. Jesus had to go through death on the cross, making peace by his shed blood. That's what he had to go through to reconcile you. And he did it willingly. See, what a savior we have. But that's not all. Notice the result or the purpose for which Jesus has done this for you on the cross. It's the purpose or the result is in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So this is talking about the end goal that Jesus has achieved for us. This is talking about what will happen on judgment day. You see, on the last day, when Jesus returns, there will be a judgment of everyone. Everyone will have to stand before the judge and have their lives assessed by him. And for the one who has been reconciled to God through Jesus, judgment day for you will be a very different experience. Because rather than having all of your sins exposed and having the judge pronounce a guilty verdict on you and, and sentencing you to eternal eternity in hell, eternal punishment in hell, instead of that, on that day it says here you will be presented by Jesus as holy and blameless and above reproach before the Father. It's an incredible thing to think about. I mean, this is why we sing about it so much. You know, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I still in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. Or that other song, bold shall I stand on that great day and none condemn me. Try who may, fully absolved through Christ I am, from sin and fear, from guilt and shame. See, it's on that day, that final day, when everything that Jesus has achieved for you in his death and resurrection, and sending his spirit, and sanctifying you, when all of that 
is finally complete. The technical term for this is glorification. But on that last day, when you are glorified, you will be changed, you will be like Jesus, you will be holy and blameless in practice. You will no longer struggle with sin. You'll no longer do evil deeds. You'll no longer have an evil thought, a hostile mind. You'll be free from the shame of failure. You'll be free from temptation. You'll be free from the presence of sin and you will dwell forever in the new creation. And that is the hope of the gospel. That's what we're looking forward to. You look forward to the day of being presented holy and blameless and above reproach before God. But what is actually important to understand here is that what you will be on the last day is what you have now as you're standing before God. See, in Christ or through faith in Christ, right now, you are declared holy and blameless and above reproach before God. Not because of anything good in you, not at all, but because God has credited Christ's righteousness to you. Okay, He now sees you in Christ. He sees you as united to Christ so that everything that is good and perfect and wonderful about Jesus, he sees you like that. He sees you in Christ. It's a key phrase in Colossians. So let me try to sum all what verse 22 is saying. Let me try to sum it up with an illustration. This is saying, uh, it's like you've got a massive court case coming up where the verdict is already fixed in your favor. And so on the day when you front up before the judge, that verdict that's already fixed now, on that day when you front up, that verdict will then be made public. And so you're no longer stressing out about going to court. No, you're actually looking forward to it because that's the day when all the world will know the verdict fixed in your favor. And that's what Christ has done for you, believer. Right now, the verdict of judgment day is already fixed because of the cross. And the verdict is holy and blameless in Christ. And that final verdict is how God sees you now in Christ. And that's what it means to be reconciled to God. And so what a turnaround we have here from being alienated and under God's wrath to now being reconciled and fit for his presence for all of eternity. And the point of this is that Jesus has done it all. Jesus did it all, all of it for you. It's all his work on your behalf that makes you right with God. He gives you everything you need to make you ready for judgment day. You don't need to add anything to what Christ has done. You are complete in Christ. He is the sufficient savior. This is Christ sufficient, nothing more needed complete in him. So we've looked at the predicament. We were alienated because of sin. We've looked at the solution. We are reconciled through the cross of Christ. But finally, we need to consider the condition. There is a condition in verse 23, and it goes like this. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, 
and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now this can be a little bit confusing because Paul has just told us that through the cross we've already, we already have uh, the verdict of Judgment Day fixed in our favour. So if it's already fixed, then why does Paul now add a condition to us getting there? Uh, what, what does the if at the start of verse 23 mean? How are we meant to understand this conditional clause? Well, given what Paul has just said in verse 22, it cannot mean that he was doubting that the Colossians wouldn't make it. Uh, Paul is not suggesting that they could be saved and then somewhere along the line they, they lose their salvation. He's not saying that. Paul is actually 100% confident that every single person that Christ reconciles to himself will continue to the end. They will be presented on the last day as holy and blameless. In fact, Jesus himself said in, in John 6, I will lose none that the Father has given me, but will raise them up at the last day. And so verse 23, it's not casting any doubt on whether a true believer will actually make it to the end. What this conditional clause is teaching us is that between the day you are reconciled to God and the day that you are presented as holy and blameless in His sight, between that, there will be the direction of your life will be characterized by continuing in the faith. This is a condition that must be met. You must continue. But this condition is always met by those whom Christ reconciles. It is, is always met. And so that means verse 23, it does actually function like a test. Here's a test of whether you have been saved. What matters is not so much have you made a decision, but what matters is are you continuing? Are you remaining in Christ, committed to Him? Are you following Jesus? Because that's the reality of true faith. True faith perseveres, keeps going. And notice how Paul describes what continuing in the faith actually looks like. He says it's stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. So stable, steadfast, not shifting, they're all uh, words that describe a building that endures. So stable means to have a solid foundation. Steadfast means to, um, uh, to stand up under pressure. And not shifting, that's, it's in the present tense, so it's qualifying the foundation. It means not constantly shifting. And so the picture is of a building that endures through decades and even centuries of harsh conditions. Do you know one of the points of interest of uh, watching the tour of France is um, you get to see all of these ancient buildings and you hear, sometimes hear stories about the kinds of conditions that they've been through over the centuries. And sometimes you get to see buildings like uh, aqueducts, bridges, towers, that were actually built by the Romans in the first century AD. I mean, can you imagine what those buildings have been through over the last 2,000 years? I mean, they've endured numerous wars, uh, countless storms. They've probably um, been through a few earthquakes, floods, wear and tear, and yet they're still standing after nearly 2,000 years. I mean, they must have incredibly good foundations because it's really only when a building shifts from its foundation, that's when the cracks start to appear and that's when the weather gets in and starts to erode and, and break down and eventually uh, the whole building uh, will fall apart. 
you know, it's once it shifts, that's when it's no longer stable, when it's no longer steadfast under the pressure of the weather. And see, it's the same with the believer. So long as you do not shift from the foundation, which is the gospel, so long as you don't shift from the gospel, you will remain stable and steadfast under pressure. And as we'll see in the rest of Colossians, the pressure that they were facing was actually the pressure to cave in to cultural influences and elements of other spirituality. See, they lived in a pagan culture and which had values and ideas which were at odds with the gospel. And false teachers were seeking to bring those ideas into the church to influence the Colossians. So the Colossians were being enticed to shift from the foundation, the foundation of being complete in Christ, but any shift would never be an improvement. It would always be the beginning of the whole thing falling apart. And it's the same for us today. Just like the Colossians, we have that constant barrage of beliefs and assumptions that have the potential to cause us to shift from where we're meant to be standing. But verse 23 is reminding us that the true believer does not cave in or conform or compromise under pressure. The true believer does not shift from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. It's on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so the condition of being presented holy and blameless before the Father on the last day, the condition is that you remain steadfast to Christ. But be assured those Christ reconciles to himself will remain steadfast. There's no doubt about it. The condition in verse 23 should only trouble you if you've turned your back on Christ, if you've given up on him, if you've given up on the faith, and that would question if you've ever been saved in the first place. And so in this uh, short passage, one sentence, really, over three verses, in this short passage, Paul wants his readers to grasp more fully uh, the beauty and the wonder of what we have in Christ. He wants us to see the sufficiency of what Jesus has done for us, that if you have been, res if you have been reconciled by his death, then there is nothing more for you to do to be saved. There's no more work to be done. There's no new teaching. There's no new insight. There's no new experience that can bring you closer to God than what you already have in Christ. You are complete in Christ. And therefore, you stick with him. Now, just to finish off, during lockdown, uh, I like to um, go for a regular walk with my family. And we go off into the uh, flora and fauna reserve, which is near our house. And sometimes we see a lizard called a Jackie dragon basking in the sun. Now, I'm no lizard expert, but apparently uh, lizards, like all reptiles, rely on the sun to warm their bodies so they can move about freely. And in some ways, we need to be like that with the gospel. Uh, every day we need to bask in the beauty and wonder of what Jesus has done for us. You know, we need to be basking and, and thinking about what we once were to what we now are and what we will be. And as we bask in that, that will warm our hearts and that's what will motivate us 
and enable us to go on living for him, growing in him, enjoying him, enjoying the salvation that we have, which is complete in Christ.